How's everybody doing? Hoping you're having a fantastic Tuesday. I'm coming at you with the third episode in this series on the life of St. Thomas Aquinas. We're going to get into some some fun stuff today. Because, I mean, we heard about some very niche early life stuff that was uh, cool to hear about. But here is actually where we begin to see this transition from St. Thomas uh, merely as a child prodigy to St. Thomas as uh, actual theologian um, through his studies under St. Albertus Magnus and then also through his work at the University of Paris um, in his bachelor studies. And I'm also going to give you a little bit of context for the background of how medieval theological study would have worked. Uh, it's really intense to hear about because uh, these studies would last uh, in order to go from nothing to master of theology, they would last 20 years. And you would basically write an entire systematic theology and comment on most of the Bible. So it was very intense studies, much, uh, much more than we get in our own uh, masters of theology these days, uh, because they also would have to know the liberal arts well enough to lecture on like the works of Aristotle. And it, it was it was just insane. Uh, and we're going to get into that. But before we get started, uh, if you look at the description below, uh, the book that I'm going off of is William of Toko's Life of St. Thomas uh, by Angelus Press. They sent me a copy uh, to do a review and I decided to just uh, do a whole series on it because I thought it was fun. So if you go to the link there, uh, you can get a copy of that. And there's also uh, two other links. One is the link to the Patreon for uh, Scholastic Answers, uh, what we what we do here. If you really appreciate it, um, definitely consider that. And the other one is the new Aquinas Academy. If you uh, are really into St. Thomas and you want to see uh, his works more widely read and understood um, and taught to uh, people, uh, for free, absolutely free, um, then you can support the new Aquinas Academy uh, through that link. But uh, let us begin. So when it comes to the uh, way in which medieval uh, university life would have worked for a student of theology, uh, we actually know quite a bit about how this would have uh, looked like. Sorry, I'm trying to pull up the link. because We actually have a uh, let's see. If, the, there it is. We actually have the list of the books that they would have used at the University of Paris, and this is in 1271. So it's close enough to St. Thomas. He was in the 1250s. But let's see. Uh, let's see what they were what they were reading. Uh, we actually in the medieval uh, source book of Fordham, we know what they had for their course of theology, and then they're also their course of medicine. So we have blah 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 blah. blah uh, I will and command that my books of theology shall be delivered, blah, 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 blah. Okay, what do we have? The names of the books are as followed. So this is what they were reading in the theology department. Bible complete with a glossary. Genesis and Exodus glossed in one volume. Books of Solomon glossed in one volume. Exodus glossed by itself. Glossed, 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 all these books. Also, the four, book of sentences, four books of sentences of Peter Lombard. And then also you have the uh, more books glossed uh, of the Bible. And you have the Scholastic Histories by Peter uh, Lay Munguer. I've never heard his name pronounced, so that's my best guess. So what, I, what I'm trying to show you here, uh, done in the year of our Lord, 1271, is that uh, really what they were reading is glossed 
books of the Bible, which were lectured on by masters, um, history of the uh, basically uh, some some history stuff, and then also the four books of Peter Lombard uh, commented on by master. So when it comes to this is going to be very confusing for all of you. It's going to be very, very confusing because we're not used to this. Um, but in the medieval way of doing university studies, and this was actually the way of doing your university studies um, in any serious university until quite recently, uh, you would have what's called the cursus method. So we're used to in our university studies what's called the modular method. So you kind of get to pick and choose um, what you have. You have these core classes you have to take. But you can choose electives within, and then you also have these classes outside of your subject matter. And you can kind of choose them in random order. That that's not how it worked uh, for most of the history of the university. We're we're actually much worse off because we don't do this. But back then, you would have a very um, defined course of studies, which took you through a proper order of things. So, uh, for example, you would start with grammar. And then you would go to logic and then you'd go to rhetoric and then you would go to um, let, let's skip the, the quadriga. So then you would then you would go to the disciplines of philosophy. You would study um, what's called physics. You would study all of the minor treatises of physics. You would study metaphysics, uh, which would include a lot of uh, which would include, for example, natural theology. Then you would go and study ethics and all of the tracts there. Then you might go to theology and study fundamental theology. Then you'd study doctrine of God. Then you'd. Uh, De De Uno et Trino, and you would uh, God the Creator, which would cause angelology and the creation of the world, and then you would it, so you would have this order of studies, um, which was very clearly defined as forming the mind in the right way. So you'd start with uh, what's foundational, and then move on from there in a very coherent way, and everybody would study the same things, and this was based on uh, books which were classical texts. So with classical texts, um, you would have these books that everybody agreed upon uh, as certain authorities. It's not that you couldn't disagree with the authority. You could disagree with the authority. In many places, they did. But what you would basically do is you would go over these texts, which discussed everything that needed to be discussed. Um, sometimes you would actually need to maybe add on here or there uh, some extra discussions. But basically, it had the general structure of what needed to be discussed. And you would lecture on it explaining the text, um, explaining certain controversies, and, and so on and so forth. That's the way that education worked. And it led to some very, very smart, well-formed people, uh, something that we just don't really have today. And if you want to form yourself in that manner, um, the closest thing you'll get is some of the pontifical universities will still follow generally that order, although they've fallen a bit to the modular model. But this is how things went uh, in St. Thomas's education. So uh, they would usually start around the ages of 14 to 16, um, their bachelor studies. And first, what you would do is you would start with your bachelor studies in the arts. So you would learn the trivium and quadrivium, and every single person would study this. It didn't matter what, if you were going to go to, uh, they had three uh, faculties, law, medicine, and theology. It doesn't matter if you're law, medicine, or theology, you're going to go through your arts training, which uh, trivium quadrivium, it would last uh, six years. And at six years, you would become a bachelor of arts uh, at the age of uh, anywhere between 20 and 22. So um, at this point, you would get what's called the license to teach. 
and the, with the license to teach as a bachelor, as a bachelor. Oh, no, 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 no. So at, sorry, I messed this up. So as a bachelor, you would teach uh, some of these classical texts to younger students who the uh, masters uh, wouldn't really want to teach. They want to teach the more complicated stuff. So they'd have these bachelors going through and teaching all of these intro classes. And then if you pass um, a year or two of that, then you get your license to teach. So at this point, you're licensed in the arts. And this is just the beginning of your education. Because at this point, um, you're probably anywhere between 22 to 24 years old. You're finally able to start learning uh, either law, theology, or medicine. So in the uh, theological department, you would spend seven years. So on top of all of the studies you did in philosophy, you would spend seven years to become a bachelor of theology. And you would do the same thing. So, uh, and actually there's two parts to uh, getting your license um, to teach for theology. So um, you would spend about a year, uh, maybe more than a year, uh, lecturing on sacred scripture. So you would lecture on many books of, of the Bible. Um, it would take around in the medieval way of doing things around three years to lecture on, on sacred, all of sacred scripture. So you'd lecture on a good portion uh, if you're spending a year or two. And then obviously throughout the rest of your career, you're going to be lecturing on scripture. And then you would spend two or more years lecturing on the sentences. So this is what you would be doing. And after this point, a minimum of three years, but it could be, uh, again, more years, you would be able to get your license to teach. So um, at this point, with your license to teach, you would kind of go through a bit of a... Um, uh, Pro probation, probation, probation. That's a, a bit of a probation uh, period, where um, upon examination by the um, the magistri of the school, the, the masters of the school, um, you would yourself be enrolled as a master. So you started anywhere between the age of fourteen to sixteen, and by the time you're a master, the minimum age was thirty-five, so around twenty years uh, or more. Uh, St. Thomas was special, and we're going to be getting into this. St. Thomas was actually 31 when he became the master. Um, and the, the Pope himself, it's a really interesting story, which we'll get into in next episode. The Pope himself fought for St. Thomas <laughs> to, to get his, um, to, to become a, a mag magister uh, earlier than other students. Uh, but Bonaventure was 35. So we're, uh, we're Dominicans, uh, one Franciscan zero. I'm just kidding. So, um, and then St. Thomas uh, started writing his commentary on the sentences when he was 27. Uh, so he spent those four years um, lecturing on the sentences. And then also they would lecture on philosophy because they'd already learned it way back when they were a teen. And they would also be lecturing on sacred scripture as well. Although we don't really have um, St. Thomas's scriptural commentaries from all the way back then. So uh, now that's the way that generally the whole university structure worked back then. But specifically when it comes to the life of St. Thomas, he finished all of his um, trivium and quadrivium studies uh, at the age of 20 years old. So he was very, <laughs> he was very, very young because if you, if you remember, um, he spent two years in prison as well. So, I mean. If he 
if he uh, had the luxury of not spending two years in prison, he probably would have been even younger doing all this stuff. Uh, but 20 is still like way on the young end uh, when it comes to uh, finishing your Bachelor of Arts. So at this time, the, the Dominicans were extremely happy uh, that they had finally got St. Thomas back. So the first thing they did is they sent him to Rome uh, to John of Wildenschausen. Wundenschausen, sorry, cannot pronounce that. German words uh, cannot pronounce. And he was the uh, fourth master general of the order of preachers. So they sent him to the master general. They sent him to the top guy, successor of St. Dominic, and said, hey, this guy's really special. Uh, You should do something really important with him. So what uh, John did is he decided to send St. Thomas to study with St. Albertus Magnus. So this time he was just Master Albert, but eventually he became St. Albertus Magnus, the universal doctor of the Holy Catholic Church. So he very you have a saint being taught by a saint. Um, it, was, it was very, very interesting. Uh, and actually, um, probably won't ever get into this in, in uh, this series. Uh, Master Albert actually was born 25 years before St. Thomas and outlived St. Thomas by eight years, seven, eight years, somewhere around there. Um, which is crazy because St. Thomas wrote a lot more than uh, Master Albert did. just shows how insane St. Thomas was. But uh, the reason I say that is because um, in the condemnations of 1277, which we're not going to get into, uh, Saint, some theses of St. Thomas uh, were condemned as heretical. And Master Albert actually went uh, to, uh, I think it was the University of Paris. He went to the University of Paris to defend St. Thomas and tell them, like, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. He's much smarter than you. You guys are all going to, like, burn if you if you condemn St. Thomas. So, yeah, that's what that's what Master Albert did in his, in his old age. So it's kind of funny. So when St. Thomas uh, arrives at Cologne, uh, that's where St. Albertus Magnus was. When he, when he arrived at Cologne, he was extremely excited. Uh, because if you think about it, uh, basically throughout his entire childhood, he'd been wanting to study theology. He's had to study the arts. He's had to he's he studied the sentences and read the Bible himself. But he didn't have anybody uh, who could teach and form him in the way in which he wanted to. And during this time, uh, St. Thomas was known uh, the whole. This is where the whole dumb ox uh, story comes, where they called St. Thomas the dumb ox because he wouldn't speak. He was a very quiet guy. Um, he just spent his time listening, memorizing, and praying. Uh, that, that's what he did when he was at um, the Dominican Studium in Cologne. So uh, at this time, uh, this is actually really interesting considering St. Thomas's own thought, because this uh, was hugely um, formative for him. But at this time, Master Albert began to lecture on the divine names of St. Dionysius. And uh, as as I've mentioned, St. Thomas was just a quiet guy, uh, wouldn't really talk. Uh, another student, um, <laughs> another student saw, thought that St. Thomas was uh, a little bit slow. He thought he wasn't the brightest guy. So the other student felt bad for St. Thomas and offered to tutor St. Thomas. And St. Thomas, um, in his very deep, deep, deep humility, decided that he should just kind of shut up and take it. So, of course, St. Thomas basically had memorized all of Master Albert's lectures and had contemplated them more deeply than maybe Master Albert himself at this point. Um, But the other student decided he was going to tutor St. Thomas Aquinas. 
So St. Thomas was just quietly sitting there as the other student was tutoring him. And the other student sort of ran into some difficulty uh, with explaining one of the points of Master Albert's lecture. So St. Thomas decides to gently help him and explain the distinction uh, very subtly <laughs> um, in, in actually adding on a few points that Master Albert uh, himself hadn't even explicitly mentioned. And this other student kind of realized at this point that St. Thomas wasn't an idiot. St. Thomas was actually just brilliant. And he was just being quiet um, due to his humility and wanting to uh, learn and contemplate on his own. Kind of maybe a bit of not wanting other students to bother him. Um, maybe that was that was a bit of it. But at this point, the other student, upon realizing that St. Thomas actually understood the entirety of the lecture and understood it better than anybody else, started to beg St. Thomas to tutor him. So he, he just he begged and pleaded with the other student, um, begged and pleaded, the other student begged and pleaded St. Thomas uh, to tutor him in uh, the teaching of Master Albert. So uh, St. Thomas agreed, but begged the other student not to tell anybody uh, that he was able to remember so many things and was able to um, so subtly uh, pierce the teaching of um, their master. So um, after some time, the other students started to feel bad. The other students like, I'm getting all of this great teaching from St. Thomas and nobody else is getting it. Uh, I'm, I'm far excelling everybody and I don't even really deserve it because it's really St. Thomas who is the, the smart guy who's teaching me. So the other student decided he needed to tell somebody. So he went and he told one of the bachelors. So if we remember, bachelors were basically those who um, taught in the universities, um, the the younger students uh, in, in the easy lectures. Um, that was the, the role of the bachelor. So what happened is St. Thomas told one of the bachelors under Master Albert, and then the bachelor, okay, this, this, is, this is their plan. Uh, it's, it's kind of funny. Their plan was to kind of hide the bachelor um, while St. Thomas was tutoring. Um, and St. Thomas would tutor the guy and the bachelor was kind of like hiding around the corner, listening to see whether uh, what this other student was saying was true or not, or whether they were kind of uh, messing with him because, you know, like, yeah, the quiet student's just brilliant. Like, yeah, okay, whatever you say, buddy. Um, so after hearing this, the bachelor student was just utterly like, flabbergasted that they had this student here in St. Thomas who was just so utterly brilliant. He was just shocked. So the, he, the first thing he did is he went straight to Master Albert and decided to tell Master Albert all about how brilliant St. Thomas was. And Master Albert, he had the same response. He's like, yeah, okay, whatever, whatever you say. You mean the dude that just sits in the corner and doesn't talk to anybody? Like, yeah, okay, whatever you say. Um, so Master Albert decided he was going to test this whole theory and uh, set up a disputation for the next day that was going to involve the most difficult question that Master Albert could think about. So he, he was really just just putting them through the ringer. Uh, it, it was really actually a bit unfair uh, what they were doing. They were like, OK, let's get the quiet kid and let's have him in front of everybody answer the hardest possible question I could think of. 
um, but ac actually wasn't answering the question. He was taking the role of the bachelor. So to um, provide the answers to the difficulties, if you've ever read one of these uh, disputed questions, you have all the difficulties posed. Then you have the um, set of contra, which are the authoritative arguments. And then you have the respondeo, um, which is the response giving the resolution uh, to the question from the master. So St. Thomas was answering the objections. That's what his uh, job was. So Master Albert, not only did he do the hardest question he could think of, but he also told him it was happening tomorrow. So St. Thomas is like, okay, I will. Um, they, they, they told him, look, you're, at, you're doing this disputation tomorrow. There's no choice. You're doing it. And then St. Thomas um, in his humility, decided to uh, accept this very difficult task. So the next day comes around, they have the disputation, and uh, the, all of the objections are put forth. If you don't know how this works, you had a, basically a bunch of the students would give as many objections to the thesis as they could think about. Um, they would give all of these objections, then the master would answer, well, the bachelor student would answer, all of the objections and then the master would um, give the response uh, resolving the question so the students all come up give their objections and then saint thomas um gives it's, it's crazy saint thomas gives one distinction um which basically answers all of the objections which are given and St. Thomas just brilliantly answers all of them. And then Master Albert kind of turns around and is like, what the heck? Like, what, is, <laughs> what, what, are, you, what are you doing? Because now, um, basically, St. Thomas had um, resolved the question in the object, like in giving the answers to the objections. So Master Albert's like, okay, there's nothing more for me to do. So uh, you can give the response. So St. Thomas gave the response. And then uh, Master Albert decided that he wanted to just push him either further. So this was very unusual because, uh, as I said, the other students would usually give the objections. So what Master Albert decided to do is Master Albert's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to just like drill you in front of everybody. Um, since you're, since you're so smart and you can give all of these distinctions and stuff to answer all of my, all of the objections in a very profound way. So Master Albert decided to give the four best, best objections that he could think of. This was very unusual that you have the master out there giving the objections rather than giving the respondeo. Um, this was very unusual because usually it's just like dumb student objections. Like if, if, uh, if Pope Rio, why Pope Francis, like that would be an example of, uh, of, of an objection. Um, that would just be one of these uh, student objections that they would bring forward. But Master Albert decided himself to give objections that he thought were extremely solid. He, he thought basically St. Thomas was done. We, we knocked him down a peg. He's, uh, he's back to his humble status rather than uh, being Mr., uh, Mr. Smart over here. But St. Thomas just like utterly destroys all of the objections right in front of everybody. And Master Albert's just like sitting there speechless. Because St. Thomas just answered all of the objections, not only that all of the other students gave, but that he gave himself. Um, so St. Thomas just displayed his brilliancy uh, in his first disputation, which if you remember from uh, the other, from his early life, St. Thomas had been, uh, his caretakers had been taking him to disputation since he was like 12 years old because uh, he was just so brilliant. So I, uh, not, not to downplay it, but St. Thomas was just that, uh, he, he was just insane from a young age insanely brilliant for me young age so at um 
this point, we have St. Thomas. Uh, St. Albert wants to make St. Thomas his right-hand man. Uh, so even before he's a even a bachelor, uh, St. Thomas is still um, doing bachelor duties for St. Albertus Magnus. So um, a bit more about the story uh, of the life of St. Albert. As I said, 1200 to 1280 are his dates. Uh, he, if I'm remembering correctly, I think he was um, received into the order by St. Dominic himself. Um, very, very cool. So he was uh, one of the top theologians of that era. Uh, really, you have the, the era before um, St. You have, you have the Golden Age, which the Golden Age peaks in St. Thomas and St. Bonaventure. And you kind of have the, the era before, which has uh, St. Albertus Magnus, um, not Henry of Ghent, uh, but uh, I think Giles of Rome was also that era. Um, oh, there's another one. Um, crap, who was the who was the the teacher of Saint Bonaventure? Ah, I'm I'm forgetting this off the top of my head. This is embarrassing. Oh, it's gonna kill me when I I remember um his name. Uh, it's the one who said, like, he's as if Adam had not sinned in him. Uh, what is what is his name? Alexander of Hales. Alexander of Hales. So, yeah, Alexander of Hales is another example of one of those, uh, one of the generation before um, St. Thomas. See, look, Astro knew it. Astro knew it. Alexander of Hales. Yeah, you have, like, Alexander of Hales and Albertus Magnus are kind of the – Alexander of Hales is Franciscan, and Albertus Magnus is Dominican, and then they teach – um, St. Bonaventure, which is Franciscan, and St. Thomas, which is Dominican. And St. Bonaventure was four years older than St. Thomas. So they're, they're all about the same generation. So you have the Golden Age peak in St. Bonaventure and Thomas. And then after the deaths of St. Thomas and Bonaventure, things just kind of go downhill, um, which I will not name the theologians of that age where it goes downhill. Um, but you know who I'm talking about. Uh, so... That that's uh that's kind of the the generation which he comes from the generation before the golden age peaks but they really laid the ground for the, the brilliant minds of Saint Thomas and Bonaventure. So the Pope tried to make uh, Saint Albert relatively uh, early in his life a bishop, but he decided that he wanted to be uh, as he describes it a contemplative of all knowable truth. So um, because of this, he decided to join the order of preachers. Uh, something that St. Albertus Magnus was known to do. Uh, he was a very pious man. He would pray the entire Psalter every day, uh, which was um, not a common practice at that time. Uh, earlier times, it was a bit more common. Um, you get especially in like the era of the Desert Fathers. It was very common for them to pray the entire Psalter uh, every day. But at that time, it was insane, especially somebody who had the amount of duties that St. Albertus Magnus had. So... Um, he was also known for the working of miracles. And, and a fun little um, story from his life is that he, uh, when they transferred his remains, um, they found his body lying face down uh, in, in a sort of uh, prayer of prostration uh, position. Uh, so he was said even in death, uh, his body was, was turned around um, to the way in which he would pray um, during his life. And when asked uh, how he 
became so brilliant, uh, how he would retain all of the, the knowledge that he had. Because really, um, he was just one of those, uh, he was a true renaissance man, although the renaissance is cringe. But uh, I would just take the term. He, he's, he's one of those guys who just kind of knew everything. He would write about everything from, like, uh, biology to uh, insane stuff on theology, which uh, was just trans uh, transverse all of the areas of knowledge. Uh, very impressive man. He said that when he joined the order of preachers, uh, he decided to consecrate himself to the Blessed Virgin. And then he had a dream that night where um, she had taken a, a cloth and like padded his, his face with it. And from that point on, um, his mind was just illumined um, by divine truth, and he would retain almost everything that he read and would be able to explain every single book that he read. So uh, getting back to St. Thomas, at this time, he is 26, 27 years old uh, once he's done with his studies with St. Albert. Uh, so he spent his uh, seven years uh, doing his studies in theology under St. Albert. And what St. Albert realized is they had somebody who was, he was a big deal. They had, they had somebody who was a big deal and somebody who needed to be cultivated in the best way possible. So Master Albert uh, begged the Master General of the Order of Preachers to accept uh, St. Thomas as one of the bachelors of the University of Paris, which the University of Paris was not one of the Dominican Studia. Um, it was the, the, the big, important uh, sort of place where, um, where scholarship would happen. Uh, and at this time also, uh, St. Bonaventure was, was also sent um, to Paris to do his own work. So um, at first, the Master General actually didn't accept uh, this transfer. Uh, he didn't really know who St. Thomas was, didn't know why he was important or impressive. So he just was like, no, just have him be a bachelor with you. Uh, what, why are you, why do you want him to have this like position at Paris? But uh, what's, what's funny is that uh, Cardinal Hugh of St. Chair, uh, Chair, I think that's how you pronounce his name, uh, the famous biblical commentator and first Dominican uh, Cardinal of the church, uh, <laughs> went to the master general of the order and was like, actually, St. Thomas is the real deal, so you should accept him into this position. So while St. Thomas was in Paris, uh, over the next four years, for, uh, so from the time he was 27 to the time he was 31, uh, St. Thomas became a lecturer. So he would lecture on everything from the sentences to books of sacred scripture um, to the works of Aristotle. Uh, really, at this time, he would just kind of be a, a bachelor. Um, he would just be lecturing on all this, uh, all this basic stuff. So uh, when it came to the lectures on the sentences, St. Thomas actually, uh, th this was when he began to pour out all of the wisdom that he had been uh, keeping uh, within himself ever since the time he was like six years old. And he was uh, starting his um, studies and to, went to, to the times when he was a teen, when he was writing basic works on rhetoric and logic. It's just insane uh, type mind that St. Thomas had. And he added uh, really, and I think this has to do a lot with the deep study that St. Thomas engaged in, in logic. Uh, he was able to add um, better distinctions, uh, article divisions that hadn't been used before, 
uh, he was able to have a new way, uh, a new method of answering uh, that was a lot more intuitive and a lot more uh, helpful. And uh, it was at this time when, uh, which hadn't really been done, um, there's, there's a few sentences, commentaries that had been written down, but writing down wasn't really a popular thing. But St. Thomas actually um, had his uh, lectures uh, written down in the form of a commentary on the book of sentences where he would provide division and then answer um, disputations. So uh, that's all I have for this episode. Oh, yeah, I I actually heard this from uh, Roger Bacon. Roger Bacon de uh, declared that Alexander of Hale's Summa was as heavy as the weight of a horse. It was full of errors and displayed ignorance of physics, of metaphysics, and even of logic. Yeah, um, Franciscan moment, I guess. I'm just messing. Okay, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, if you appreciated this, make sure you uh, share this series with uh, a friend. Um also, if you really enjoy it, then uh, become a patron at one of the links below. Uh, remember to subscribe, like, uh, comment, all that fun stuff, and God bless.